2: Across the UK, online
3: and on DAB. (laughs) Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio.
4: Fembot can go to hell.
3: Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the Hour of Badass Power.
0: Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares.
3: Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One,
5: two, three.
6: Welcome
7: to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions you can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-host Emma Sexton, Natalie Campbell, and we're here with you for the next hour talking about all the things that have really caught our interest and made us feel a bit badass and feisty this week. Um, First up, I am kind of finding it weird that I'm saying this, but I feel like our new government has done something that I'm quite proud of. Oh, what's that, H? I didn't think it could happen. Um, so, this week, Stella Creasy, who is a Labour MP, I'm a big fan of her, she um, put an amendment onto the Queen's speech, which says women coming from Northern Ireland to England for an abortion should not have to pay for it. Currently, they have to pay £900 if they're coming from Northern Ireland to England for an abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Stella Creasy put this amendment into the Queen's Speech and it kind of got ignored for a little bit. And then on Thursday, the whole thing turned around. It was asked as a question by the Speaker. Lots of backbench MPs said they were going to basically say no to the Queen's Speech if this amendment wasn't put through. And the whole thing blew up into a huge issue, which saw Justine Greening having to negotiate with Jeremy Hunt, who I hate, having to negotiate with Jeremy Hunt about actually making sure this is a free and accessible service for women from Northern Ireland and now, hopefully, women from Northern Ireland can come to England for an abortion for free.
4: That's incredible. That is incredible.
7: I'm really, really thrilled about it. And I think, you know, I was really worried, actually, that the coalition with the DUP was going to make things for, well, all, all minorities, really, in Northern Ireland much, much harder.
5: Mm.
7: And this is the first thing I th- think which is, seems like a positive fight back against that?
5: I think the thing that I was impressed by was the speed at which people mobilised to, um, I guess, uh, review the amendment. So I saw there was a letter to Hunt that was signed by the British Pregnancy Advisory Service, the Royal College of Midwives and the Royal College of Obstetricians and and Gynaecologists, as well as the Fawcett Society and Amnesty International. So something that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe people were were, were becoming aware of. um, They've actually mobilised a movement. And I don't know if it's, it's... a sign of our times but people are not willing to let anything slide anymore they are mobilizing they're using their collective voice not just individual voice collective voice I think you know people put politics aside to say this is not going to fly we need to make this work and I, I, re- I appreciate the fact that both people from the Labour Party and the Conservative you know women and men stood up and said no this this is not this is not good enough we need to challenge this and I feel like it might be a step change in how politics is done. It might be a small case study in, in, in
4: it, but I feel like it's a step change. I love the fact that it just feels like it, it was less of a fight. Do you know what I mean? It was like there was a little bit of a fight, this needs to change. And everybody went, yeah, yeah, right, let's just, let's just do it. And to me, that's a real step change because it's a woman's issue that doesn't involve lots of women fighting about it and trying to convince an awful lot of people. There was a really nice collective, like, no, this needs to be this way so that to me that feels like progress is that progress? progress yeah I think it's progress
7: definitely it's huge progress and I think what's also really nice is actually some of these kind of small inequalities that have been happening for a really long time are now coming to light Mm. and people are looking at them and going oh actually that's not okay and I'm not on board with that And I think that's maybe a bit of a shift uh, realisation from the election where actually there was a kind of swing to the left and it was more on social issues and it was more on actually freedom of speech and equal rights and protecting a kind of more modern society... And so maybe that is going through to our politicians.
4: Maybe it feels like everyone's caring a bit more. Do you think we're we getting a bit more empathy? And I world? feel like that's
7: extreme optimism. I always <laughs> feel oh, right. <laughs> you know me. I'm always about utopia. Constant quest for utopia.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do
5: think. I, I do think people put party politics aside, and I think that's what the election has shown. That what what voters what everyone wants to see is people making fundamentally the right choice regardless of what the whip says you must do what is the right choice what's the right thing to do and i don't want to move on to brexit with this but the fact that they you know there were labour uh, mps that also said actually we remember what happened with the iraq war when we were all whipped to voting in a certain way we're not going to do it this time and if it means not being on the front benches then we'll take a back seat that is a different narrative to what we've experienced before, and I hope that people are learning from hi- politicians are learning from history and realizing they need to do better. Fingers crossed.
7: Uh, what do you think? Do you think politicians are learning to do better? Can they? Is that in their nature? I don't know. You tell us. Do tweet us at Badass Women's Hour at Badass Women's Hour if you've got an opinion. Um, Emma you are going seriously utopian
4: this week Yet. What is else is it you want to talk about I'm such a geek when it comes to this stuff I just like think the world could be this amazing <laughs> mega place and there's this so we all know you're all aware of kind of the rise in um, artificial intelligence and the robots and the robots are basically going to take out an awful lot of jobs that sustain people on a steady income people who perhaps could not do any other kind of work so we're going to have an awful lot of unemployed people now what they're starting to test out and what I've been I've been hearing a lot about this is a universe Universal basic in- um, instinct, universal basic <laughs> what income. You watching, I don't know. Oh, I have breakfast this morning. But they've been trialing it out in Finland, and they're really surprised at the results. So what they did is they gave a a community of a few hundred people this basic income. So everybody got this amount, and it kind of just covers your like basic living costs. Uh, a bit almost like a benefit system, but where traditionally the benefit system. You know, you have to, to get job seekers' allowance. You've got to keep going for interviews, even if those interviews are for jobs you don't want to do. Like, you know, it's quite sort of. Um quite demanding to get the benefits and then if you do get a job you lose your benefit so there's a lot of difficulties around that benefit system where this is like you get a flat fee but if you want to work or you find work you can supplement that income and it's amazing in terms of the results that it had in terms of people's happiness and people's well-being it was driving people to be more entrepreneurial and I just think it's this really interesting um interesting way of solving the fact that a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. I just wondered what you two thought about mm. universal basic income.
5: I'm really, this is one of the, uh, a concept that I'm really inspired by. They've been doing experiments in Scotland and the RSA here, so the Royal Society of Arts, has um, taken on the mantle of leading the conversation around what um, this programme would, would look like in the UK. What What does it mean for employers? What does it mean politically? And I, I think it, it would open up the gates for people to think about how they live. I'm a fan of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and if you look after the basics of security and income, but equally work, people need things to do. You cannot have something like this and pe- not give people things to do. People need a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It's a fundamental thing that makes people have a sense of agency and and and, and, and meaning in life. Um, so uh, i i would welcome it i think the challenges are it, you know how, how how do we pay for things like this um what i d- do dispute though is the whole robots taking the jobs thing i d- the robots are not going to take all of the jobs i think um ai will influence the way we work but fundamentally this sort of scaremongering around technology i i think is 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 ill-advised um there are things that computers can do, and in the same way you know we 've had an industrial revolution in manufacturing and, and and work has changed, there will always be things for people to do
4: yeah, there will, but there's different skills that you need basically completely yeah there there' will be a different type of job that will be needed um but there'll be an awful lot of jobs, for instance, cabs will become you know there's an awful lot of people who maintain their lives by Again, being cab I, d- drivers. I don't I
5: don't buy into this we're going to have driverless cars and dri-
4: <laughs> we can just about get wi-fi signal
5: connection <laughs> from a train from London to Manchester so the fact that we're going to have a car driving what? itself with zero signal it's not going to happen oh. for the next 20 years so I think we're all fine within our working lifetime um and I do I feel like there's some scaremongering around people the robots are taking our jobs it's not it's not going to happen
7: Oh, I don't know. I think it is. I think we're all going to be out of a job within five years. But I'm not sure how I feel about a uh, universal income because I have had family members who have been on benefits and it has really, really affected their self-esteem. So it's actually kind of killed the desire to work. Not because they go, OK, well, my life is taken care of, so I don't have to think about it. But actually, because it puts you in a place where you don't feel that you are contributing to society where you feel kind of ashamed of your situation where you feel like you can't do what the things you're supposed to be doing it really impacts on your self-esteem and i just sort of wonder if we just said everyone has a universal income you know there are days where even i don't want to get out of bed and go to work right <laughs> and the thing that makes me is the fact that i have to pay my rent at the end of it
4: so i don't know whether we just take away that sense of agency from people That's what I, I think about. The, i think the benefit system kind of it It's not good in terms of shame, in Mm -hmm. terms of um, motivation, in terms of self-esteem, in terms of, you know, there's probably a lot of people out of work and they can't get back into work purely because of things like self-confidence and, like, putting themselves out there. And actually, what we really need and what we miss in society and what we don't value and pay for is a sense of community, is volunteer Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. And if you, what the talks that I've been to around this universal-based income is that actually you start to give people that and they do find work because humans do like... like doing work, but they like doing work that they enjoy and you will probably find more of a sense of community and a lot of that, we need that, we need that in our communities and we don't have it, you know, people doing childcare, people looking after the elderly in their homes, it would allow more of a sense of that and that's what what I think is really interesting about how this will change society
7: okay well tell us what do you think would you want a universal basic income do you think would you be happy to pay for somebody else to have a universal basic income how would it affect your life would it make it better um do tell us what you think uh, one thing you're not going to be able to buy on a universal basic income
5: <laughs> is our
7: next news story. Now, what is it?
5: Old Louis, Louis Bouton, has uh, finally launched uh, a nude heels collection to suit all skin tones. Sorry, we- Christian LeBouton. Christian LeBouton, yes. Um, and, you know, I'm talking about this story partly because he's always had nude heels. But nude heels, if you're of a lighter hue... So as a black woman, I can't wear nude heels for my skin tone because they did not exist until now. Although, you know, they're they're going to cost me 600 quid. But that's by the by. I think it's, again, it's another uh, show of the fact that fashion houses and the industry in general is is recognising there's more than one way to be. I don't know if any of you saw the boots photo this week of normal skin tone, normal, um, normal, uh, what suntan lotion for normal skin tones i'm liking this diversification of 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 skin tone and what's out there and 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 knowing that people are making clothes with me in mind um so i i i I like this i guess are you going to be
4: buying a pair
5: will I buy a pair if I like them
4: yeah you know I'm so done with expensive shoes I once bought a pair of uh, Kristen LeBouton shoes mm -hmm. it was like my dream to own a pair of these mm -hmm. shoes very expensive and for some reason in my head I felt like because they were 600 pounds when I put them on they were going to feel like a pair of Nike (laughs) Air Max and they didn't I was massively disappointed
5: (laughs) but they do look absolutely gorgeous with the right outfit and what I would say Mm -hmm. is functionally um, there are times when I want a shoe that matches my skin tone to match an outfit and now I have that
7: Well, I don't know if it's going to be worth 600 quid or not. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But, hey, what else are you going to spend your universal basic income on, right? Uh, So we're going into our next section now, which we have the amazing Claire Sanson, editor of Women's Health magazine. And she has just won an award, so we're going to be talking to her about that. Um, We're also going to be doing our badass balls-ups, our problem page section, where we use our combined wisdom to help you out. So stay tuned for that.
3: Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
7: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we are also joined by the fabulous Claire Sanderson, editor of Women's Health magazine and the winner of the PPA Magazine of the Year Award. Congratulations. Well done.
6: Thank you very much. (laughs) Late night last night. But uh, yes, thank you. We're we're thrilled. It's an honour.
7: So PPA is the Press and Publishing Awards, right?
6: Yeah, it's the Professional Publishing Association. So they're basically the Oscars of the publishing industry and the Magazine of the Year is the best award to get on the whole night. So it was uh, it's a real real coup to to get it for two years consecutively as well which has never happened so a magazine has never retained its title and we've got it for two years consecutive
7: amazing and so what do you think it is about women's health because it has had this phenomenal success Mm. that's made it so kind of relevant and award-worthy at the moment
6: well, we've just posted our ninth consecutive growth in ABCs, which is unheard of in a real tough market at the moment mm-hmm. on the newsstand. Other magazines are struggling and and we're growing and it's because wellness is on such a trajectory for women at the moment, you know, um, exercise is now a social thing for women we we go to these classes we go with our friends we hang out after we have shakes we wear our expensive gym kit and it's just become a real trend in london and it's going out of london as well certainly but it's 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 a holistic approach women are exercising for their mind as well as their body and uh, I th- it's just going to grow and grow i can't see it stopping.
7: Um what do you think are the new trends that we need to be looking for in health and fitness because it does seem like there's something new every single day.
6: Well the the, the trends are the classes, the beauty classes mm-hmm. I think. They they're coming over from America, Australia. You've got F45, you've got Orange Theory, Barrys which is, you know, it's it's been around for a while, Boom Cycle which I met you guys at previously. Yep. And um it's it's turning fitness into a social event and and that's the booty classes are the big trends. I think now it's it's uh, it's women coming together with their friends to exercise, and I think that's a wonderful trend to come out of wellness. But that's where I think it's all going at the moment.
5: Nat, you have a class, don't you? Yes, uh, the badass principle. Although we're on hiatus because I'm thinking about you know how it works within. Um I guess this current boom of of other classes and it's become a bit more mainstream. Um uh, I'm also training I'm also getting my my own qualification. Uh but it's 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 not easy the fitness industry. So mm. when I was actually in class there were what 30 of us in a class and they were running Six or seven of those classes a week, Mm. so there are more and more people coming into the industry. Mm. I was wondering, you're not from the fitness industry, yeah? Yeah. And I'm when we met, you were talking about being a girl from the valleys. So, what's been your career trajectory from from there to here? Well, I
6: started off in tabloid newspapers. So after university, I got onto the Daily Mirror graduate training scheme, which was 21 years ago a long time ago mm-hmm. um, a very prestigious scheme to get onto and I was very fortunate because it normally takes Oxbridge graduates with master's degrees yeah. I had neither I was a working-class <laughs> girl from the valleys but I can talk a good talk and it, uh, <laughs> it got me on there so and then I spent seven years eight years in newspapers which was amazing I traveled the world I covered everything from Michael Jackson, when all that problems with him before, you know, with the yeah. to the children, should I say that? So yeah, that's yeah, fine. You can say <laughs> that. <laughs> um, you know, to 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 news stories. I I traveled the whole world. Basically, it's an exhausting lifestyle, mm. and I just took the decision that. Um, I wanted a profession that was conducive with having a personal life and maybe starting a family at some point so I went into magazines so I worked at Grazia mm-hmm. uh, so that was exciting I got to go to all the parties and speak to everyone from George Clooney to Victoria Beckham and and then I went to Look magazine mm-hmm. where I spent a long time I was there for nine years and I, I um, progressed to um, assistant editor which is basically like the deputy editor and then in that time i had two children and um and then after my second child maternity i came back to women's health so um i they they've employed me because pri- i'm i'm an editor i come from a print background and to run a magazine you need to have a print background you need to have a strong um experience editorially but it's a bonus that I'm really into health and fitness. You know, I don't think you could run Woman's Health unless you genuinely were into health and fitness, but primarily I'm an editor who happens to be into sport.
5: And what about the digital aspect of things? Because if we think about most um, content industries, digital mm. is a huge part of that. Yeah. H- how, how does that play into how you build out a publication? Because you know, there are lots of people starting their own boutique magazines and people mm. think about you know, how do you make something work online? how do you make the two fit together well
6: all brands have to be 360 these days mm. so you know women's health is huge on instagram um uh, you know a lot of um, visual sport uh, you know the, the wellness in fits both stars they're massive on instagram so we've got a big instagram following so we have to make sure that they complement each other but our audience on our, our website is slightly different to our magazine the magazine is um a lifestyle brand so mm. we have fashion we have features whereas our website is more geared towards fitness and um, mm-hmm. so we have a slightly younger uh, women who want their strong abs mm-hmm. and all this whereas um with uh, women's health the magazine it's more broadly appealing and we've got readers from 16 to 40 but we do have to work we've we, we have to all work together we've got a digital team and a print team but the printing work across digital as well, and the way it's going, it'll become more ingratiated with each other.
4: Mm. Emma? Claire, talking about kind of abs, women's health and also men's health, I've often noticed Men's Health magazine, <laughs> is they're really famous from covers because they always seem to have like six-pack, super fit bodies. Mm. With the kind of rise in like, you know, like the This Girl Can, Can campaign with lots of different body shapes, lots of diversity, mm. is it mandatory that you have to have like a six-pack to be on the women's health? Can you ever imagine somebody on the front cover of a different body shape.
6: Oh, absolutely, we had Iskra Lawrence on our April issue and she's um, a size 14, very curvy, gorgeous. Um, So we, at Women's Health, we want to celebrate all healthy bodies and um, we're doing the in shape my Champ, uh, in shape my shape campaign in the issue that's on sale at the moment where we're asking women to um, rip the slogan cards out of the magazine and upload them onto their social media with the hashtag and we've had all shapes and sizes of fit healthy women because fit healthy women do come in all shapes and sizes mm-hmm. so i don't know if if you on on the cover abs cell because what we're finding we've, we're doing research and women are obsessed with abs and it's just <laughs> it's super, it's, hard. You know, <laughs> it's super hard yeah, it's, uh, um, can we
7: get a ruling on
4: this can you get abs after 35 because I'm not sure yes, it's possible you can. Yeah. I've yeah. Seen, yeah I've seen videos oh, of an eight year old bodybuilder and you can the thing is we carry naturally we carry fat, fat on, our, yeah. on our bellies because you know of our reproductive mm. organs so you just have to like get your body fat down to like yeah. zero you or you've to. got the Kim Kardashian body where you have to fly Stomach and you know cake. Um, yeah. The made in the kitchen. They're not amazing. Yeah, the yeah, that's true. But so is cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, true.
6: that's
7: true. That's true. So you've got two kids, you edit a really big magazine, and you are also you're really into your health and fitness. Yes. We talked about this. So I'm sure there are lots of them out there who are just like, How do you actually balance all of that? How do you make time for it all? How do you not do you sleep?
6: Not much. No. <laughs> um we're very fortunate that we do have live-in help for our children because my husband's very senior in the media as well so and he works um, at a, a tabloid newspaper he's very senior so um we we have to have help to to make it work and um but I do fit in fitness ev- almost every day because I do it for my mental health as mm. well as my physical well-being so I go every morning I hand my children over to our nanny at 6:30 in the morning and then I go to the gym every morning and then I come and do a long day in the office and I you know, I get home about 8 o'clock at night and then I have to do all the pack lunches for my eldest and making sure all the clothes are ready for the next day, do the washing, and then I get up the next one and I do it all again. But um, there are sacrifices to be made. Like I don't see my children as much as I'd like. I see them every morning because, sadly for me, they get up at 5 o'clock every day. <laughs> so, um, I do see them for an hour and a half. But I am have got my dream job and Mm. i would resent not seeing them if i didn't have my dream job but i do have my dream job how often are you given the opportunity to head up a brand as amazing as women's health as positive as women's health for someone who's genuinely into health and fitness as well uh, you know i'm in i'm in a position that i never thought i would be so I'm just going to do it as long as they'll keep me there.
7: (laughs) And you talked about the impact it has on our mental health, uh, Mm. because I think that's a really important conversation that we need Mm. to talk Mm. about more. Which is, it's not moving your body isn't actually just about your body; it's also about your head. Do you think that's
6: starting to come more to the forefront now? Absolutely, I think mental health is um, a topic of conversation that people are no longer embarrassed to discuss, Mm. or less embarrassed. I think um, you know there's there's still progress to be made, but I you know I think. I've had a history of depression and I started exercising and consciously looking at my nutrition to not be on medication for, you know, the rest of my life. And I'd like to get that message out then. I'm not embarrassed by the fact that I've had depression and I just want more and more people the more we talk about this, the more um the less stigmatized it will be. And um, and I do think people are, re- uh, you know, mindfulness and all this is coming to the fore and people are realizing that our bodies are connected from our mind to our bodies and, and exercise is a huge part of overcoming um, any any sort of mental well-being.
7: And finally, if there is one thing that if you're, if we've got a listener sitting at home listening to this now and thinking, oh, I know I need to know, I know I need to go to the gym and I haven't been for ages, but I mean to go. What's the one thing that you can give them as a piece of advice to Getting yourself back started when you've had a bit of a l- lull.
6: Put your kit on. The hardest thing about <laughs> yeah. training is putting your kit Get on. Get the kit on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And house. once it's on, you'll you'll go because you won't sit in the house with it on. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah, literally just put your trainers on. And maybe if you can afford it, buy nicer kit because uh, when when I put my nice bottoms on i think oh i feel nice and perky so i'm gonna to- <laughs> go for a run now so, um, but not everyone can afford that but just put your kit on and then you'll get out the door i can guarantee it
7: brilliant thank you so claire's going to stay with us for our next section which is our badass balls ups which is obviously when we try and solve your problems we do really try we're not always successful but we try um and then of course coming up with that up after that we have our backdated badass which is a woman from history you really need to know about stay tuned for that
3: Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio, she'll get you talk.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
3: Okay
7: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And this week we also have Claire Sanderson, editor of Women's Health with us. Claire, thank you you for staying in for our Badass Balls Ups, which is our problem page section. So we're going to try and answer some reader problems. And of course, if you ever have an issue that you want to talk to us about or you think we can help you with... I don't know if you've been listening to this for a while. I've, I don't know if you, why you would think we could help, but we'll try. <laughs> <Whoever> try. <laughs> we'll try. Uh, you should tweet us at Badass Women's Hour or find us on Facebook or Instagram, all the socials. So first up is Natalie. What is our problem this week?
5: You did reader problems, the print zone. Oh, listener yeah, i know my print zone. No, listener Listeners. problems. <laughs> so this one comes from Anna and she emailed... Um, should you tell your employer when you are having fertility treatment she doesn't necessarily want her boss to treat her differently but she does need to time off for appointments or possible operations um, and she doesn't ne- actually then want to take them as, as holiday so you know, what should she do Oh, that's th- a tricky one
7: I think it is a really tricky one because it's actually it goes for all kind of medical issues right mm. which is if you have a great relationship with your boss you can talk about it but actually if you don't it can be really awkward and and quite personal to talk about stuff like that. So I think I would say, um, first of all, look at what the relationship with your boss is like. Mm. Secondly, be practical about it. It is going to take time. You are going to feel different. You might need some support on it. So if you don't have a great relationship, then make sure you book a time when both of you have enough time in your diary to talk about it. Um, be really upfront with them. Say, I don't want this to affect how you treat me. Say, I don't want you to start thinking that I'm going to behave differently or do things differently but this is what is happening for me and this is what I'm going to need can you help me with that and just be really factual about it and take all the emotion out I think that's what I do Claire have you ever had anything like that in your career have you ever had anyone who's come to you with something that you've had to help them with like that
6: yes absolutely I'm the type of manager that I try and make myself as approachable as possible so I've had several instances where people have confided in me in something very personal medically where they've had to take time off and then i've covered for them in the office and Mm. i just said oh they they have a cold or they they, there's a family issue or something um but you're absolutely right it depends on someone's relationship with their manager i mean you could be managed by someone from the dark ages who would instantly think well you're going to be taking maternity leave if you do get pregnant and already start writing you off and it's a sad state of affairs but there are there are managers out there but if you've got a responsible manager in a responsible company then absolutely you should feel that you can have that discussion and then uh, they can accommodate you because um like IVF can leave you feeling rather unwell and hormonal and uh, but yeah in 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 my in my experience I've I'm the type of boss that people can confide in me and I you know I pride myself on being a, a supportive manager
7: yeah and I think it's that thing which is actually you're better off being I think sometimes better off being honest and then even if the reaction is really bad well at least then you've got something to take to HR
5: quite frankly. Mm. But I added in look at your contract because mm. your contract will reference um, medical leave and there might be a case if you don't have that great relationship with your manager you can just say I need to take X amount of time for medical leave You it, again depending on your contract you might not need to say what those, what those what it's for. the best place to start is 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 looking at your relationship with the organization you work with and the people that manage
4: you and see if you can work it out on a one-to-one yeah um, managers need to be a lot more flexible in terms of working lives because you know having time off for IVF treatment is just there's lots of reasons people could need time off work not just for sickness but for other things that might be going on in their life so there's kind of a bit of a drive here anyway Mm. for managers to acknowledge that people do have other stuff going on in their lives apart from You know your your job that you've given them and that you've got to accommodate for that so yeah it's tricky one tricky one that one
7: let us know how you get on and do um come back and tell us if you've if you've had this experience what would be some good advice you can give Mm. have you had that conversation with your manager how did it go um share your thoughts with us because none of us have had it and we think it's a really tricky question that we want to try and help with Um, So my question this week, slightly different, Uh, this comes from Nina on our Facebook page and um, she says, I've just acquired a new boyfriend and he's great in all areas except for one, not that one. (laughs) Um, He is great until I take him into social situations and then he gets really shy and awkward. He's not great at making conversation with my friends and I feel like I can't leave him by himself. Makes the whole thing really difficult and quite tiring. What can I do? Is this a sign that we're not supposed to be together? Oh, you're nodding. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, beat him out. Done, done. I
6: would suggest so, yes. (laughs) (laughs) How somebody gets on with your friends and family surely is instrumental in how the relationship is going to progress. And there's nothing more tiring than having to babysit someone in a social situation. When I met my husband, one of the things that attracted me to him, that he was just Mr. Personality, and he's literally the type of guy you could go anywhere and he would know everyone in the room within 10 minutes. And that's really attractive. I can't mm. imagine being with someone that you'd have to handhold in social situations. So I would suggest, no, they're too different. She should dump him. Maybe we need
4: a series of tests. You know like Ed Sheeran did with his girlfriend this week, isn't it? Maybe she needs to have like a series of tests that she puts her her boyfriend through what sort of
7: tests what can
4: um hoops <laughs> I don't <laughs> what know like, is gonna yeah do? like yeah like meeting your friends is one isn't it um oh yeah things like take your boyfriend to Ikea because you've had Ikea rage (laughs) at the end like you take them to the extreme situations (laughs) like yeah a hot tube a hot crowded tube and rush hour how do they react like all of those
5: I think driving with a partner is always a really Mm. interesting one to see how they behave in traffic or when someone cuts them up Um, I I would personally say so I have friends whose boyfriends and girlfriends they're not you know the, the, the other friendship group don't really like them but I'm like as if you're in love it's cool just don't bring them around us like, yeah, do but your my, thing together my friends have
4: hated my exes and I'm like why did you not tell me <laughs> yeah.
5: they're like but you just seem so happy disliking like, oh. them and thinking they're a bad person two different things if I thought they're a bad person that'd be one thing but actually yeah. just thinking they're a bit meh they're a bit you know av- wet average that's fine. So, I don't have to date them
7: I, I think this is again I don't know why people are so anti this have an honest conversation right? just sit down and say look I felt like I was really looking after you in that evening when we went out with all my friends did you have a good time? how was it for you? And if he's like, yeah, I had a great time, don't know what you're talking about, then maybe take him out again and (laughs) And see what happens again. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're still babysitting him, then maybe you can dump him. But if he says, actually, I felt a bit awkward or I'm always a bit shy the first time meeting people or actually, do you know what? They're lovely people, but it was just a bit overwhelming. It was just a bit too much for me. Maybe he's a bit more introverted and you're just going out with a quieter guy. And you know what? If you are... Maybe that means he's less likely to meet somebody on the tube and cheat on you. That's all I'm saying.
4: <laughs> so don't knock it. Um, our final question this week, em, so what is it? So this comes uh, from a friend of mine called Lucy who has her own business. And with everything that's been going on recently, like her revenue streams are slowed down. She's still having some good conversations with clients. But she's like, you know, I'm just not hitting the, the money that I need to he- to to cover the business costs and I'm starting to get a bit concerned it's approaching summer and she's like how do I stop feeling anxious about that because I'm still having some good conversations with clients I think there's some revenue coming in and just like any tips for like not panicking you know what it's like as an entrepreneur freelancer that ebb and flow mm. cash flow like how do you two like maintain your like non-anxiety or maybe you don't I
7: don't know <laughs> it's so kind of you saying that we don't <laughs> like,
4: I made the assumption there that you're like yeah whatever
5: it's fine but yeah I haven't in credit cards for those times, if I'm being honest. And I, every entrepreneur that I know, especially in the building business stage, it's, it's kind of, if you can't rely on, on client money coming in. And equally, when that money is even confirmed, some clients have 30 to 60 or 90 day payment terms. So you need to have some kind of fallback. That's just a functional thing of building a business. But when you're building and you're not actually sure where the clients are i think a consider that before you start and therefore have some savings or understand what your risk appetite is in terms of borrowing money and mine is relatively high because i know i can make it back i've always made my own money but i think it's a conversation you need to have as an individual around um you know w- planning and, and and how comfortable you are because it is the sort of thing that could lead you into a darker place or could lead you into a a period of depression or, or just feeling
4: completely out of control. I took out eight credit cards before I started my business and I've still got them today. <laughs> it's just like if something goes wrong, I've got about forty grand
7: worth
1: of credit just sitting there waiting for me.
4: So I think it's good to have a
7: backup, whether that's savings or a credit card or whatever, have a backup. But also know that if you are freelancing or you run your own business, mm. you do not work twelve months of the year. Yeah. You work ten maximum. So nobody does anything in August, which is quite frustrating, and nobody does anything over Christmas, which is quite frustrating. And you just sort of have to work that into your payment schedule. I say this. I know this is a fact. <laughs> I'm looking at my empty diary in August and I am having heart palpitations. Same. But, no, wait, I'm gonna
5: build. I'm gonna actually say it's eight months people do not say yes in january and february people start doing stuff and getting engaged in march and you need to think about financial years of the businesses that you're working with because when everyone's you know if people have underspend they might get money through the door but in between those times it's really difficult to get money out of clients and and business so but know this before you start and and do your own
4: year-long cash flow plan Yeah, I definitely work I feel like I work 16 months in one year not 8
7: so and the other thing that I think is important we think about is actually she says this point about you know how do I not worry about it and actually when we get ourselves into a state where we are worrying it gets very circular Mm -hmm. and you get stuck on it and so I think the thing there is to just go back and remind yourself of all the times actually you did do something and a client came in Mm. what was that can you do it again why did it work have that belief in
4: yourself and it will eventually come back. I normally hide under my duvet. I'm going to try that one then. <laughs> <laughs>
7: Just hide and hope it goes yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't hide no. because then the money definitely doesn't come exactly. in. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so that is our <laughs> that's our badass pulls ups for you this week. Has ever, if you have any advice that you want to share with us, I, I don't good advice, good advice. Um, or if you've got a problem that you would like our help with, do tweet us at badass women's hour, HR at badass women's hour, or find us on Facebook or Instagram, all of the socials. A big round of applause and thank you to our fabulous guest, Claire this week. Thank you. <laughs> um, stay with us for our backdated badass. That's a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. And this week's is celebrating quite a big anniversary.
3: Badass women's hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking.
7: Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster, and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter, and I'm joined by my co hosts, Emma Sexton, Natalie Campbell. And it's that time in the show when we talk about a backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. And this week's is brought to us by the fantastic Harry Hall, Digital Features Editor of Stylist Magazine. Hello, Harry. Hello, thanks for having me back. (laughs) That's very okay. Who are you talking about this week?
2: So, I want to talk about one of the most famous spies of the Second World War. I mean, as is often the case, more often than not with history, women, women's names have been forgotten, and hers is one that's also been forgotten. Her name was Violette Zabo. She was half French, half English. She grew up in Paris, in nine, born in 1921, and she actually moved to London and lived in Stockwell um, at the age of 11. So, she's sort of this French mixed cockney kind of really interesting woman.
7: Um, what was her role within the uh, within the
2: second world war absolutely well i mean she's just so fascinating and i think the kind of the place to really start talking about her is to start by talking about her husband um which isn't usually the way that i start <laughs> by talking about a woman in terms of feminism but it's really interesting from her story because you know when the war broke out she was just 18 years old and she was desperate to help out she joined the land army but on funnily enough on bastille day in 1940 Her mother had said to her, I want you to go to the parade and bring back a soldier for tea at the house. So she went over and she did just that. She brought a soldier back. She brought a man called Etienne Zabo. And the pair fell madly in love. They were married within just over a month. And um, they had a child together. Unfortunately and just tragically, he died, was deployed to North Africa and died before he ever met his daughter. And so that's when her kind of story of war really begins. She was desperate to avenge his death, approached by someone from the special operations executive, this sort of espionage organization. Immediately she joined. She didn't hesitate. You know, this is a very, very dangerous work, being a spy. But as a bilingual woman, she was really sought after. This idea that women could be spies was really interesting because people, you know, they underestimated women. So they could slip through borders, carrying notes in their underwear and... Nobody suspected a such sort of thing. So her sort of role in the war really started with this immense tragedy and, and, it, and it ends with one too.
7: So, because it doesn't really end well for Violet, does it? Even no, she... exactly. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so even though she sort of, it is really like, her life I think is really like a kind of quite dark 1940s spy film because mm. she's recruited for her fantastic skills and she's sent really quite into some quite deep and dark operations. But then she's captured, is that right?
2: yeah absolutely so so she has two missions. Her first one starts in April one thousand nine hundred and forty four so this is really close to the end of the war. She went on her first mission you know she 'd been trained in code breaking, parachuting, and field craft and as this woman that had grown up as a real tomboy you know she 's quite scrappy from a young age that 's what people sort of recall about her. She heads off absolutely intrepid, parachutes into France with a, France with a false identity and then and then goes to spy on German communications. As a result of this really successful Im- initial mission, she's then sent out again in June, and this is what this is the sort of fateful mission and her last mission that she would go on, because just three days in, she was um, her team were driving along a road and they encountered a German roadblock, and you know the Gestapo sort of came out. There was a real fire battle, and Zabo actually she she provided cover fire for her for her comrades. So she sat there for, you know, half an hour firing and sort of holding the Gestapo off while her comrades escaped. But um, unfortunately, she was captured um, and she was taken to Gestapo HQ. And that's where, you know, her story just got absolutely worse.
5: This really does feel like a movie. I'm part sort of visualising Wonder Woman whilst also visualising... I, I don't know, it's sort of like a a film noir. I, I don't know why I'm going sort of Sin City mode in my brain. Like maybe it, it's been it's been a long week, but it just. It, but this it's not a movie. This is someone's real life. She, you know, she, avenging the death of her husband, goes on this amazing journey that not many women actually, you know, were were given the opportunity to do, and she does it with such gusto and you know jumping out of planes uh, and she was absolutely adored by the people that she worked with I, I listening to you talk about her, I feel such a connection with this woman that i don 't yeah. know, but she 's badass <laughs> totally. she is
2: absolutely the epitome of the word badass i mean she you know for her whole life and and it did turn out to be a very short life because um you know what happened then when she was captured, she was taken to Gustavo h q she was tortured and, and sexually assaulted and had this hideous experience as you can kind of imagine beyond what we could even imagine and then was eventually transported to the notorious sort of women only ravensbrook concentration camp which was um just outside berlin so it was this kind of awful experience but the entire time she was being tortured she never let up she never let anything go you know she was really resolute and even then they say that when she went to ravensbrook um, everyone there, who you know, people who had survived the camp, there were reports of her being a real sort of champion of sisterhood, trying to lift people's spirits, and she just wouldn't give up. You know, she she sort of she would mock um, SS officers in these absolutely horrendous, harrowing conditions. Her spirits just wouldn't be crushed. Um, but you know, what's so sad about her story is that in 1945, just months before, you know, um, the camps were liberated. Uh Zaba was shot in the back of the head in a Nazi firing line and she was just 23 years old. Wow. Absolutely devastating. And, and, you know, apparently she was holding the hands of, of other women and, and still kind of being really supportive to the end, which is just so inspiring.
5: And then she received a, a posthumous um, George Cross, which I, I think is so well deserved
2: yeah absolutely i mean after the war her sort of her phenomenal bravery and this supreme stoicism turned her into one of the most decorated women of the war and quite rightly so her daughter tanya um was four years old um, by this time that um she was awarded posthumously awarded the saint george cross the george cross and so tanya at just four went to buckingham palace and collected this medal which must have been just you know so much for a four-year-old to handle you know both her parents killed in the most dramatic way um, but I think what's really interesting as well about Zarbo, as if that's not interesting enough already, um, is that there's this real kind of romance underpinning her story. So obviously she sort of, she joined the war, she joined um, the, um, the SOE to avenge the death of her husband. And what happened was when she was training um, to be a spy, she, she, came, she sort of came into contact with this man called Leo Marx, who was a codemaster. And Marx actually had had his own very tragic story. His girlfriend had been recently killed in the war, and he'd written a poem for her called "The life that i have and um spies it working for the s o e would would all be assigned a code poem, so if they were captured or they needed to communicate with people to confirm their identity, they would use you know words in the poem to to sort of send the message so when Mark met Zabo, this absolutely, you know, and we don't want to reduce people to their looks or anything, but she was described as this sort of Hollywood-esque looking woman. And he met her and immediately, you know, her intelligence and her sort of spark attracted him. And there wasn't a romantic connection there, but he assigned her this poem that he'd written for his for his dead girlfriend. Um, and it's just the most beautiful poem. I think everyone should listen to it, as, you know, read it and listen to the sort of recordings of it. Absolutely beautiful and there was this film, um, this sort of biopic about her experience, created in 1958 called Carve Her Name with Pride. And the whole film, you know, you see this poem coming through and you see her absolute resilience. And she, it's just incredible, you know, it just sort of brings chills to you, really.
7: I have absolute goosebumps it's just Mm. a wonderful story and thank you so much for sharing it with us Harry um that is Violet Zabo, our backdated badass for this week thank Uh, you thank you so we're heading into the final moments of our show this week but as ever we like to leave you with a badass principle something to live your life by in the next seven days so now what is our principle this week
5: our principle this week is a slightly obscure one, um, and it's kit up. And what I mean by this, it goes back to the conversation that we had with Claire Sanderson um, from Women's Health, but also, you know, in the presentation of our backdated badass. Sometimes you have to put on a uniform. Sometimes, when you know you really want to go at life hard, you you have to put on your kit. You have to kit up and get out the house and make things happen and and do things that you possibly never thought were possible when you're in, in your you zone. But actually with that kit, you can be someone else just in that moment when you need to break through. Emma, what's yeah. that
4: for you? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I do think there's something about... I think for me, my kit up is, uh, you know, the work that we've done with Nikki Armitage around the electric woman, which is basically I have this alter ego. Mm. So for me, kit up is about reminding myself and it's a similar sort of thing. It's a feeling, you know, when you put on Mm. like clothes or you put on that great outfit or that bit of red lipstick Mm. or whatever. So for me, it's definitely like get in that zone to really like make some action happen, isn't it? Whatever unique, whatever that is, red lipstick, I don't know, an alter ego, something to get out there and make some stuff happen.
7: Okay, well, actually, it also really fits because next week, if you want to come and spend some time with us in person, not just listen to us, uh, we have our live event on the 4th of July at the W Hotel London. And we're talking about women and fashion. So the stuff we actually put on ourselves in order to feel like we have kitted up Um, so come and join us there all the details are on our Facebook page or our Twitter at Badass Women's Hour Um, and of course if you want more of us you can subscribe to our podcast which is great and there's something else you could do which we'd really love you for you could vote for us in the Diversity in Media Awards so we have been nominated for an award
2: very exciting <laughs>
7: um, uh, so if you go to the website Diversity in Media Awards and you click on vote now you will find that in the radio section you can vote for us and we would love it if you thought that that was something you wanted to do mainly because the last award I got was a Most Helpful Award back in 2001. <laughs> so I really need an update to my awards no collection. Way. I know. <laughs> um, uh, but if, you, if you've enjoyed the show, or you want to talk to us, or there's something you just need, think you need to tell us about, do find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Out, or you can talk to us individually. Find me at Harriet Minter, Nat.
5: At Nat D. Campbell.
7: Or Emma. At Emma Sexton. And of course, we'll be back here again on Talk Radio next week.
3: Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues